following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. This week I was watching a YouTube video of uh, a very foolish person <laughs> uh, who is in Oklahoma and decided to t- kind of do this storm chasing thing and um, suddenly found himself too close to the storm and was, uh, was fleeing for his life, he and his friend who was driving the car. And he was, um, not quite sure why, but taking video of this whole experience. And it was very terrifying. Uh, as his friend was driving, trying to outrun this funnel cloud. And, um, you know, here in Rochester, we really don't have anything like that. No weather that strikes so quickly dramatically. I mean, our, our bad weather rolls in real slow and stays around for a while. <laughs> Six months. <laughs> so it never really occurred to me until just, the, I had this moment this week. Do you ever have this moment where there's something that's so obvious, and you, but you've never thought about it until something triggers it, and then suddenly you think, oh yeah. Um, I never really thought about what, what it must be like to be in the path of a tornado and have to just Get up and go. There's no stopping to pick up your laptop or your favorite two guitars or anything that doesn't have a pulse gets left behind. You just don't pack. Just go. And it was around the time that I had watched that video, maybe I was taking a break from sermon prep, uh, I'm not sure, but I had been reading also scripture um, to prepare for today's teaching, and I, I made a connection in my head to the Israelites who had to flee Egypt. If you don't know the story, the uh, Israelites had been enslaved by the Egyptians for many generations, and after a series of terrible plagues that the Lord had visited on Egypt, finally the Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, had agreed to let them go. He had, he had held his position in the, wake of, in the face of all these plagues, and then the, the worst one came, and he finally gave up. And the, and the worst plague, the most terrible plague that the Lord sent on Egypt was this um, very disturbing thing, actually, where, where the angel of the Lord came through and, and killed every firstborn child in the country, including the Pharaoh's child. And the way that God's people, the Israelites, had avoided this plague, had been spared, was that they marked their door frames with the blood of a sacrificial lamb. I mean, this is like a bullseye for Old Testament stuff right here. This is the, when you think about the, the kind of scary stories in the Old Testament, this is, this is probably A number one. But, but, but when they we put the blood on their door frames, and so the angel of the Lord, it says, passed over those houses and spared the firstborn children in those houses. And that's the origin of, of the Jewish holiday of Passover. It's a celebration of this, this moment of both of, of, of God's sparing the Israelite children and, and visiting death upon all the others in this act to, to free his people from slavery. But the, the king, the pharaoh, changed his mind fairly quickly, and the, the people had to flee. It is said that they, they couldn't even wait for their, their daily bread to rise that day, which is why unleavened bread 
is used in, in Passover celebrations. So the, the festival of unleavened bread, it's sometimes called, they'll make these, these unleavened, unyeasted loaves of bread from barley, which is the first grain that's harvested in the springtime, which is around when Passover is celebrated. So the people left in a terrible hurry, and I think it was probably a little bit like running from a tornado. They didn't stop to pack. But obviously, unlike in modern times, they couldn't get themselves free from the immediate danger and then stop at the grocery store. Actually, at this point, I think I I probably would take the tornado over going into the new East Ave Wegmans. (laughs) It's just way too busy. Um, I'm going to give it a few weeks. (laughs) But they, so they, they had no food. They were free from slavery for the first time in hundreds of years, but they had no food. And about 15 minutes after they got out, they started to complain. And they said, this is actually what they said. You would never say anything like this if it was you. They said, we should have died in Egypt, where at least we would have died with a full belly. But instead, you dragged us out into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Slightly dramatic, the Israelites. The story is in Exodus 16. And what happened is the Lord, in the, instead of just smacking them all <laughs> uh, this time, um, promised to provide food for them in the form of bread from heaven. And I'll read you a little bit of this story. Exodus 16:13 starts out here. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, in Hebrew, manna, which means, what is it? That's why it's called manna. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs. And here he uses a Hebrew unit of measure, an omer, O-M-E-R. An omer to a person, according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing left over. And those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. They did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, as much as each needed, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. So the people could only gather what they needed for one day. And if they tried to get more, it went sour, and their plan backfired. If they tried to hoard the bread, it it turned to worms. Except on the day before the Sabbath, the Sabbath being the holy day of rest, when they wouldn't have been able to gather the bread. So the day before, they were allowed to gather twice as much as was needed, and it would actually keep through that extra day without spoiling. But with that one exception, it seems that the people were not going to be given any extra. They had enough to get them through that day and nothing more. Now, I tell you this rather long story, because I think it's absolutely essential to know all of that information if we're going to get the full impact of today's story from the Gospel of John. Now, 
Um, we're back in the Gospel of John. If you've been with us for a long time, you know we've been doing this for a little over a year. We'll, we'll dip into John for four or five weeks and look at it just at the pace that seems natural, going through every little story. And uh, we've done five chapters now in a little over a year, and there's 21 chapters in John, which probably means that we'll finish, I hope, before my son graduates from high school, but we'll see. Um, so we're back in John today, and uh, the story of this, this miracle, which is the fourth sign of faith that, that John records in the Bible, the fourth miracle Jesus did, um, and it's, it's told in John 6, 1 through 14. So if you'd like to follow along, you can look it up. It's on page 867. And uh, could I ask you to stand together for the reading of the gospel? I'm going to read this whole story. Verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves... And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. You can be seated. Do you see now in that story some of the connections to the one that I told you before? Imagine yourself a faithful Jewish person, and it's around the time of Passover. So you've been hearing that story over and over and over again. One thing that the Jewish people were very good at is retelling the story of their own uh, history and faith. So you've been hearing about the, the, the Passover and the flight out of Egypt a lot. And now, as this faithful Jewish person that I'm asking you to imagine yourself as, you're, you find yourself in a crowd of people kind of wandering around following this itinerant rabbi. Which would probably in and of itself be enough to make you think of that mass of Israelites who'd been wandering in the desert following Moses. But then it gets even more uncanny because the rabbi starts feeding the crowd with what? Bread. Barley loaves. Perhaps unleavened Passover bread. 
And he feeds 5,000 people in a great miracle. And then you would start to think to yourself, who miraculously feeds thousands of people with bread? And your ears would perk up a little bit, and you'd give a little bit of attention to what's going on, because how could you not at that point think that this is history in the making, this is the next chapter in our story as a people? And how could you not think back to what your father and mother and grandfather and grandmother had been telling you since you were a little boy or girl? That Moses had promised that God would raise up another prophet like himself. How could you not think that this was God's way of showing you that the time had come? That once again, at Passover, there was miraculous bread to eat. And I imagine that as your belly started to get full and you saw the people around, you start to slow down eating and as you do when you're finishing a meal, lean back and sigh, loosen up the rope. And you have the echoes of the manna, the what is it story in your mind because you would have heard it a thousand times over. You might have been expecting this next piece wondering how it would connect. Those who gathered much had nothing left over. They gathered only as much as each of them needed. The story of the bread in the wilderness. You'd think about how the extra would spoil, except on the day before the Sabbath. You'd think about how if you hadn't gathered enough, somehow it would still be enough. And if you'd gathered too much, you were out of luck. Then you would look around and you would see that people had finished their meal and they actually had bread left over. Quite a lot of it, in fact. And that wouldn't have quite fit, I don't think, with your expectations about how God had worked. And then you hear Jesus say this beautiful thing, this phrase which has been echoing in my head for two or three weeks now since I first looked through the next several passages in the book of John. This beautiful thing that Jesus said, and I almost don't even know what it means, but it moves my heart for some reason. Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. For me, for some reason, that one beautiful sentence marks a kind of transition from an old way of understanding God to a new way of understanding God. And even though we are not Israelites ourselves, and even though we're 2,000 years removed from these events, we are a not only post-Israelite, but at this point post-Christian people, I still think that there's something for us in those words. I still think that we have an old way of thinking about God and that maybe in these words, Jesus wants to transition us into a new way of thinking about God. The old way of understanding God, you only get the the minimum of what you need to survive and you're lucky to have it. In the old way of understanding God, you don't 
starve, but you don't ever quite lose that hungry edge that people who are almost ready to starve have in their belly. In the old way of understanding God, abundance is not the expectation. In the old way of understanding God, you're running from the tornado all the time. Not knowing where your next meal will come from. Sometimes quite literally. Sometimes that may have a more figurative meaning for you. Just as Jesus came to the Israelites in that moment, He comes to all of us to blow apart and ruin our old ways of understanding God. And he says, gather up the fragments that are left over so that nothing may be lost. And yes, this is about the abundance of God's provision, which sometimes comes in our day-to-day life that we don't see and sometimes comes miraculously. But to me, it also speaks about the way that Jesus ministers to people who are on the margins in one way or another. Because sometimes it's not bread that's all fragmented and broken up and and left over and assumed that it's about to breed worms and spoil. Sometimes it's us, it's you and me, who feel like we are fragments left over from something whole. That... God has shaped the world in such a way that leaves us on the edge, that shaves us off from the beautiful center of things. Do you ever feel useless in the big scheme of things? Do you ever feel unnecessary? Do you ever feel left out? fragmented. Jesus wants you. You're his beloved child. By the way, if you've never felt that way, far be it from me to tell tell you how exactly God will or won't come to you, but but Jesus does not seem particularly interested in the people who have all their, who have everything together. <laughs> Almost. It's <laughs> been a long time since I've done that. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Jesus does not seem particularly interested in that group of people. Jesus wants the Samaritan woman who is cast out because she's half-bred. Jesus wants the filthy, unclean leper who's not allowed to go near the holy temple of God. Jesus wants the dishonest tax collector who's stolen by collecting four times as much as he ever should. Jesus wants the blue-collar schlubs who drag those nets down to the boat every morning and then back up to the shack every night. He wants to gather up the fragments of society so that nothing would be lost. So if you feel like a fragment, lucky you, because Jesus loves you and wants you.
wants to call you. And if you don't feel like a fragment, lucky you. But guess what? Your job is to fill the baskets. You get to go out there and gather up the fragments, the leftovers, so that nothing may be lost because in the new way of understanding God, there is no bread that's going to go to worms. And if you look at someone and consciously or unconsciously put them in the category of leftover fragments about to go to worms, that is a lie that you have believed comes not from God but from the enemy. You need to disown it and repent of it and get to gathering. There's all kinds of other beautiful imagery and symbolism in this passage that I love. The five loaves being like the five books of Moses, transitioning into 12 baskets, like the 12 disciples, and all this kind of fun stuff that happens here. But, but the, the most beautiful thing to me is, is what happens the next Passover, a year later. Jesus does another little special thing with bread. This time not with 5,000 people because as we'll see at the end of this little segment of John, they all left. But with just his closest disciples in an upstairs dining room. Today's story, it says, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them who were seated. And in 1 Corinthians 11, you get Paul retelling the story of that next Passover. And it says, For I received from the Lord, but I also handed on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Can you imagine what that smaller group of disciples must have felt on that night? They already had their historical Passover story drilled into their heads. They knew it backwards and forwards. They had already had this amazing kind of reorienting of it a year before, up on the mountain, 5,000 people getting the bread. And then suddenly they're sitting with Jesus and it's Passover again and he takes the loaves. Maybe they're barley loaves. Maybe it's unleavened. And he gives thanks. And you hear him saying that and you think, that's just what he did before. This moment matters. And he starts talking about blood. Not this time on a doorpost on a cross. It's in that act of sacrifice where Jesus himself becomes the sacrificial lamb. Tying all of this great story together and culmination of the crucifixion. We're not getting to that story until much later in John, but you know it. And you know it's there. 
the power of the crucifixion and of the resurrection is that Jesus gathers up all of you fragments, all of us fragments, so that nothing may be lost. Let's pray. Jesus, in the beauty of this story, we see your love and your grace connecting us to the the deep historical roots that we have pushing us outward and beyond into the story that we are writing with you as we live in faith. Give us grace. Allow us to know your forgiveness. Give us grace. Allow us to experience your holiness as our own, your righteousness as ours. May we find this morning in the table a miracle. The miraculous bread of manna, of the feeding of the 5,000, and of the risen Christ. As we receive it, may it be food for our souls. May we know the reality that you are gathering us up. All of us who are broken and fragmented and left over and unnecessary, you love and call us to yourself. And the moment we have that knowledge, Lord, we know you will press us on to go and gather more fragments who have been lost. Show us that harvest, we pray, through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We are going to receive communion together, and there will be a chance for prayer up here with the prayer team if you'd like to take advantage of that. Uh, Communion at Artisan is an open table. If you're following Jesus... This is for you. If you are exploring and figuring things out, it is very much okay for you not to do this, and we won't look funny at you or anything like that. It's okay to sit and pray or think and ponder. Um, We always say we want you to respond to God's leading, whatever it might be in your life right now. Table's open. Let's continue to worship him together. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.